Hi. 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 Hello. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about. I'm curious about building open, authentic, loving relationship. I'm curious about jealousy. I'm curious about polyamory. Does it just mean that you're fucking all the time? How can I tell my parents that my partner is already married? I'm curious about... How do you know when you're too busy to have another relationship? I'm curious about dominant and subordinate relationships. I'm curious about sexual health. How can relationships evolve with people as they grow and change? Happy New Year, folks, and welcome to the Curious Fox podcast. This podcast is for those who challenge the status quo in love, sex, and relationships. My name is Effie Blue. And I'm Jacqueline Misla. And if you've just found us, you are about to listen to part two of a two-part story about family, love, parenthood, and more. Before we start, I hope you had a fun New Year's despite the restrictions. Yeah, I hope everyone had some joy and warmth this uh, this holiday, this new year. I did myself. My partner and I stayed in. We made a fancy dinner. We got cozy and just connected. We actually consider New Year's to be our anniversary because it is when we both swiped right and started talking and the rest is history. And so last year we went all out and the fancy hotel room in the city and an after hours party. And so this year was nice to just unplug and celebrate at home. Sounds nice. Yeah. New Year's Eve, along with my birthday, are two of my favorite days of the year. As I shared before on this podcast, I spend most of my life bouncing around the world, living and working in all corners of the planet, in countries with their own holidays and traditions. And I've always enjoyed joining in to whatever festivities that's going on. This allowed me not to have a lot of fun, but also get immersed in all sorts of cultures and traditions and fun things happening. So I love it all. New Year's Eve and my birthday, though, are special to me. They are the two days that I personally celebrate because my birthday comes with me wherever I go. (laughs) New Year's Eve happens regardless of wherever I am. Mm. A few hours. (laughs) Last year... I celebrated New Year's on top of a mountain on an island in the middle of the ocean. This year, I was in a New York apartment, and so it goes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, (laughs) as we know, sometimes things don't always turn out the way they expect (laughs) them to. Which actually is a great transition into part two of our holiday story today. So in part one, we shared the story of Ryan, who is a trans non-binary birth parent. And after years of being on testosterone, Ryan received the very unexpected news that they were pregnant. And they embarked on a journey of orchestrating an open adoption for their baby while creating a new kind of family with their adoptive parents. And so if you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to our Christmas podcast and then come right back here for part two for the next twist in this remarkable story. You mentioned that that the practice in non-monogamy really helped in terms of being able to sit through hard things, being able to have conversation, living within a context of knowing that there are different types of relationships and different types of love. Was that something specifically that you were looking for then with with a set of parents that you said this I'm I want to be I want my child to be a part of a family where these values specifically that you learned from non-monogamy are present? Not in such an articulated way. I knew that 
I was looking for parents who, who had a more radical approach to family. And I, so for me, queerness, for example, is more of a political identity than a sexual orientation. And it means approaching things like love, like family building, like sex, like community in ways that are collaborative, that are non-possessive, that question the things that we have been taught to take for granted, like that a heteronormative nuclear family is the ideal family, like that there should be one mother and that person should take on, should put their own identity aside and take on all of these other things to devote themselves specifically and only to mothering. And that if they need help or if other people do mothering for them, then they have failed in some way. And a lot of that overlaps with Polly. At the time, my partner and I weren't super invested in our identity as Polly people. We happened to be non-monogamous. And so I don't, I didn't see those values as inherent to being poly. And so I didn't seek out people who were poly, but I think poly is probably the primary way that I had to learn to practice those things like realistically. Yeah. And so it makes, it makes sense to me now. Um, I think that people who are monogamous or people who are straight can take the same values approach to relationships, whether or not they have intimacy in their lives in numerous and various ways. But I knew that that kind of outlook was important to me. I knew that I was looking for people who didn't want to compete with me to love my kid, but people who wanted to to do it together and who understood something that I think adoptive parents probably often realize on the other side of things, but maybe carry a lot of anxiety about going into adoption is that your kid that you adopt is not going to question that you're their parents. Like they live with you every day. You make all of their choices for them when like around guiding their lives when they're young, you tuck them into bed, you send them to school, you make them lunch. Like there's no question about who's parenting Mm -hmm. the kid and the kid is going to see that. And until you have that experience, I think because we are taught to believe that parenting happens as the result of a particular like set of things that happened before you meet a person, you marry that person, you have a baby with that person, and that's how you become parents. And that's what being a parent means and is when you don't have those things, you maybe panic a little bit and get really invested in, okay, well, I'm taking on this title and I'm going to make this look like this thing. And I'm going to try to retroactively build that story into my family with this, we chose you narrative where we brought gotcha. We are celebrating gotcha day where you became ours and really focus on the, the possessiveness that I think is imagined as being linked to birthing when in reality, like building a family being a parent takes so much more than just producing a kid. And maybe you can't really understand that until you go through it. And so maybe you can't, or we don't really have the tools to alleviate that anxiety on the front end. Although I think if we had more conversations about possessive love versus supportive love and parents being allowed to be people and being allowed to have support from other people without it taking anything away from them, you know, it might work to undo some of that messaging. But all that stuff is there and uh, it, it plays out a lot in these kinds of dynamics. And that was the kind, those were the things that were like red flags to me. This all started six years ago. Um, six years ago, your son was born through a big ordeal. You handed him over to his current parents. Um, and so what is that, that the last six years been like? What, is, what does that look like? It's been a lot of things. The first year, at least, was just really hard for mm-hmm. all of us. I think we all 
grew to have a really deep appreciation for one another's uh, emotional stamina and willingness to acknowledge the complication of our dynamic, but to keep pushing through. You know, gradually we we just started to fall into a routine. We see each other about once a month and we text often, um, really often. They send me little photos or videos or just let me know things about what my kid did today or something funny that he said or will ask me questions um, about what my childhood was like. Did it, when did I lose a tooth? Did I get nosebleeds a lot? Did, you know, whatever. And that's one of the things that makes me really appreciative of our, our really close relationship is always being available to answer those questions. Mm-hmm. And now we're, we're in a really comfortable place as much as, as can possibly be. So, oh gosh, now I guess it's must be coming up on two years ago. We were having a visit in the summertime and my, <laughs> my son's parents mentioned to me that they were interested in having another baby. And I was so surprised because I remember them <laughs> uh, before my son was born and when he was tiny saying that they were pretty sure that they wanted to have one kid, that they mm-hmm. could afford to have one kid and have a good time. And it was, gonna, you know, that was that was their plan. That was what they wanted to do. Uh, apparently this is a pretty common thing for parents. From what I hear, you say you're going to have one baby and then that baby gets to be a really cute toddler and you're like, oh, <laughs> I miss this. Let's do it again. They start sleeping um, through the night and they forget what it was like. Yes. Be all- yeah. It's like when you do a play or put on a really big production, you go through it and you're like, what was I thinking? Never again. And then when it's over, you're like, oh, <laughs> I have to do that again. I miss it. So they told me they wanted to have another baby and I was... <laughs> surprised and excited for them and also really curious about what they were thinking the path was going to be. I knew that they weren't going to have a genetic child together. I know that they feel as I do that closed adoptions are not so ethical. And I, I just kind of took that information in like in that first visit where they mentioned that I think they were kind of testing the waters to see how I felt about about it too. And I was like, you know, that's great. Let's look forward to hearing more about it, whatever. And we kind of went our separate ways and I did ask how they thought they would do it. And, uh, there wasn't really a clear answer at that time. The wheels started turning in my head about what it would be like if they pursued an adoption with another family. Mm -hmm. Number one, having gone through the whole process and knowing what I know now about adoption and about how painful it is in the early stages. Um, Imagining watching them go through that with someone else felt scary to Mm me. I wasn't sure how I would feel because I, now I know that they know, or not know, nobody who hasn't actually been through it can know how hard it is, but I know that at least they've witnessed how difficult adoption is. And I wondered how I would feel watching them go through that with someone else. Mm -hmm. And I wondered, you know, if there's another birth parent in the mix, would they want to know me? Would they want to know my son? Mm. Would they want to be close with us? Would we be competing for time? Mm -hmm. My son's family is a big family and my family is a big family. And my son's parents are really gracious with making a lot of time for my parents to visit my son, Mm. for my sister to visit my son, bringing my son to to my home state to see my extended family and have a relationship with all of those people. And poly people deal with this all the time. The limitations of a schedule are real. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) Like 
there is somewhere there's a limit to how right. many people you can you can see in a day. Right. Love is infinite, but time is not. Right. <laughs> um, and so that that was something that I was really um, curious about mm-hmm. and a little bit anxious about too. I, I had started thinking about it. And also I had um, maybe six months before they told me that they wanted to have another baby. I had found myself pregnant again through a much more unfortunate scenario. And I had an abortion right away. I feel that that was the right choice. I definitely would not have wanted to go through with that scenario in the circumstances that it happened in, but it had crossed my mind briefly to test the waters and see if they were interested in having another baby as I was going through that. And ultimately I never brought it up to them and I didn't tell them that that had happened. And that whole thing kind of just began and ended really quickly. But a small part of me was like, okay, well, I'm still fertile. I can Mm -hmm. still have kids. This is promising. This is good. My partner and I had started living together again by then had been living together again. And then I had also had this like kind of lingering fear that I would never be able to have another baby after my first. And God forbid I had gone through all of that and then not been able to parent when I wanted to. And so I was feeling confident in my fertility (laughs) and feeling, having all these questions about what that path would look like for them. But it had, it had crossed my mind organically to have a conversation with them about having another baby together. And then there they were telling me that they wanted to have another baby. And so I, I sent them a text and I was like, well, what about a biological sibling? And they were like, oh my gosh, that would be great. And then we met up to talk about it some more. I asked, you know, what about a biological sibling? And um, they were really excited about that idea. And, uh, I had talked about it at length with my partner about what it might be like to go through this process again voluntarily, knowing what is on the other side. But we felt really prepared, really confident in our ability to handle it, having been through it in more strenuous circumstances the first time around, um, and really excited about the idea of growing the family together. Because, you know, at this point, we've all been doing this thing for a number of years now we're we're family we're a family and the idea of building on that bond that we already have and continuing to to dive deeper into this relationship that we have feels really good and really reassuring for how things will play out over the next you know 5 10 15 years so we we made the decision to do the same thing again mm-hmm. Surrogacy is illegal in Mm -hmm. the state of New York. So we are pursuing another open adoption. Although this time, obviously, I got pregnant really intentionally Mm -hmm. for this specific purpose. And so the update is that right now, right? So yeah, right now, currently I am seven and a half months pregnant. Um, Baby number two is coming Uh in May. We're really excited about it. It was another, it took us down this whole other sort of um, like emotional journey together in the process of trying. We tried a number of rounds of intrauterine insemination with uh, donor sperm, which is not the same as trying to get pregnant the natural way or whatever. The likelihood of success is much, much smaller and it takes a lot of effort. And it took us over a year to get here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it, I started feeling a little bit of existential angst about it. I was like, oh my God, am I not really fertile anymore? Is it me? Is it 
this process? It, what, what is it going to be like when my partner and I are trying to have children? Is this an avenue we would have considered or were we ever going to be able to afford to try this mm. as many times? Like so many things. So is this just so that I don't know either. And I'm sure people who are listening, you know, know. so is, what is the process? Yeah. So there are lots of different ways that you can treat fertility or try to become pregnant. The method that we were using um, is called IUI or intrauterine insemination. You get frozen sperm from a donor mm-hmm. and then you have a, a midwife or a doula or someone who's trained while you're ovulating, puts a catheter into your cervix and injects the sperm directly into your uterus mm-hmm. to increase the, the chances of conception. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever remember getting those little perfume samples in the mail, those tiny little vials mm-hmm. that would give you like a, just a little bit of fluid. The amount of donor sperm that you get is less than that. Um, it's a very small, very small amount of fluid. And once you defrost it, it only lives for 12 hours or mm-hmm. so, which makes conceiving with it really challenging. Mm-hmm. So, right, like... Most folks use a number of different indicators to track their fertility. They'll track their basal body temperature. They'll take ovulation Mm -hmm. tests. They'll track their fertile cervical mucus. And when you get a positive ovulation test, you may ovulate anywhere from six to like 36 hours Mm -hmm. after that positive. Once you do ovulate, you only have six to 12 hours Mm -hmm. for conception to happen because once the egg hits your your uterine wall, it dissolves. Mm -hmm. Ideally, fertilization happens somewhere in the fallopian tubes while the egg is on its way. There is not a big window of time in which that happens. And because it's so difficult to pinpoint exactly when you're going to ovulate, like you have this 36-hour window that you might ovulate in. Mm -hmm. You only have this six to 12-hour window Mm -hmm. that this sperm is going to be alive in. You're really just kind of guessing at yeah. when is the right time to yeah. uh, to do that insemination. And it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. Some clinics will send you like two doses per cycle so that you can try two times and you spread those two times out 12 hours apart. But even then, the odds of success are maybe about 25, 26%, mm-hmm. uh, which is not great. No, yeah, yeah. Um, it, makes, it, it emphasizes even more so how much of a miracle your son is that with all of those timelines and stuff and all the ways that it should have happened the first time out, he still still came to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you're not, and this is something that we talk about all the time in in classes when I'm talking to people about how to approach safer sex from a place of what your like goals and intentions are versus just from what we think, which is that like, oh, you can have bareback sex when you're on your period and the rest of the time you might get pregnant. So don't, and like, no, 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 no. Let me explain to you. (laughs) You know, sperm that comes from a human body can live inside of you for five days. So you've got a much greater chance there, but there are all these other factors, um, the quality of your cervical mucus and the acidity and all these things that might prevent it from ever and motility that, you know, maybe you'll conceive and maybe you won't even people just trying on their own. The odds of conceiving are actually not that good. It is really miraculous that anybody does it mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, it, when it happens accidentally, <laughs> you're like, that's yeah. a huge accident. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, when it happens accidentally and you're not even having a cycle and have no idea that you've right. ovulated. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you went through that process for a while then. Yeah. So we went through that process for a while and it oh man it was trying to get pregnant can make you crazy because there is just no way to know if it worked or not until it's time to take a pregnancy test which is about two weeks after you've tried and so for those two weeks any 
any symptom that you might try to identify is the same as the symptoms of not being pregnant. Like you will just make yourself nuts investigating your body, trying to figure out if you're pregnant or not. Did it work? It creates this like immense amount of stress. And, you know, for us, I just felt even more confident about how emotionally competent our relationship is because they were so reassuring and low pressure about it the whole time. I had this like this existential angst of, is it going to work? Am I pregnant? Did it work this time? And if it doesn't, I have failed them. Like Mm. they're spending all this money to try to make this thing happen. And I am supposed to be this like, you know, super fertile vessel. What the (laughs) hell? This isn't working. Um, And felt a lot of pressure. And, And yet it's just out of your hands. Like you can't, you know, you can eat all of the things that you're supposed to eat and be really hydrated and take all your vitamins and whatever, whatever. And at the end of the day, like you just don't get to control whether mm-hmm. it happens or not. And so I definitely felt myself going a little bit bonkers for a little while, just with the waiting and the wondering and the trying and the failure, what feels like failure. That's not failure. It mm-hmm. just, it just is what it is. And so we kind of went through that and that brought us all a little bit closer together in feeling crazy together. And then just as we were getting to the point of having to have a conversation about what's plan B, if this doesn't work, I got pregnant. Miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Miracle number two. It's been really great. My partner has just been an absolute gem and so support every, we have this, uh, what to expect app, which I hate. It's just, (laughs) Oh my God, nauseatingly heteronormative and, very white and um, it's just strange to listen to sometimes, but they give you these video updates every week of like what's going on with your baby. And so we always watch them together and this baby is being brought into the world with so much intention and so much excitement and what it feels like so much stability. And I know that, you know, in a couple of months, this baby's going to come and I'm going to go through this process again where I'm going to go home and the baby's not going to come home with me and it's going to be really hard. But I also know that my kids' parents, my soon-to-be plural kids' parents Mm -hmm. are not going to disappear. Um, I know that they're not going to not be able to handle it. I know that they're not going to shy away. I know that they're going to continue to build a relationship with me even when it is that hard. And I know that I won't have to pretend that it isn't, which is really great and really important. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's where we're at now. We're all just like eagerly mm-hmm. awaiting. Yeah. How does your son feel? I love this. He is so excited. Yeah. He, yeah, he really wanted a sibling and was asking. And I kind of wonder if he was the catalyst of this, this whole <laughs> process. And, uh, the day that, um, my partner and I went out to, went out to lunch with my son and his parents to tell them the news. And my son was so cute. He, asked if the baby was going to come home with them today. And I was like, no, 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 it's going to take a little while, maybe by the end of the school year. And then he was like, oh, when, when the baby comes, are we all going to go to the nurse's office together? Aww. I was like, oh, Aww. you understand? Like, that's where you go when something medical is happening. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and that this is, that this is one of those things. It's like but, a very big nurse's office. Right? Yeah, yeah, kind of, kind of kid. Yeah. Um, that's adorable. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's really excited. He came to one of my ultrasounds and came to meet the midwife who's going to deliver his sibling. And, um... It's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just amazing to see how you all pull together. And, yeah. and and this all started because I was fascinated by this family 
you know, that you've created and sort of these people that pull together to make a family in a way that made sense to them and in a way that they thought they would thrive and, and, and then support this baby and now another baby. And it's like, even though initially, you know, your story is like, you know, scary and I'm sure it's scary for you. The, the ending is, is a miracle. Like it's, it's a wonderful story. It's hopeful. It's, it's gentle and, and incredibly brave everyone's part, you know, I'm humbled and, and, you know, um, so thank you for sharing it. It's amazing. And you're going to, you're bringing people into the world that are going to have, who are being brought in and being reared with such kindness and such intentionality and such ability to, to understand nuance and complication. And I just like, like these people that you're creating are going to like, I just, the generations that are going to potentially be created as a result of it. Like it's exciting. I think also there's like the big picture stuff, right? But also I think that like ultimately it's your family. There's yeah. like an intimacy of it that's just like sure there's big picture stuff that we're talking about, like amazing, broader understanding mm-hmm. and like what's gonna make in the world, but at the same time it's like I wake up in the morning, yeah this is my life. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's, that's really real. I wake up in the morning, I can't roll over or put my shoes on. (laughs) Um, But this is what we're doing. But it's, it's both of those things. And I think that it's both of those things for all of us. You know, one of the things that made me just fall in love with my kids' parents and feel really confident is that they are also very political. And we all have these, these ideas about what we wish our world was versus Mm -hmm. what it is and make a really concerted effort to do the best that we can to manifest that mm-hmm. thing. And I think being really open and really engaged about this mm-hmm. process and about, you know, what we've all, what we've kind of made here is a part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it is, it's, it's personal and it's almost kind of mundane sometimes. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is just, this is our life. This mm-hmm. is what we're doing, but it, I don't know, it feels important to me and it feels important to me to talk about too um, and to talk about specifically in the context of we live in this world with restricted access to reproductive options for a lot of people with restricted access to resources for a lot of people and we really need to carefully explore the power dynamics that go into creating families by any means, Mm -hmm. the way that, you know, that couples who are monogamous and heterosexual are sort of are immediately blessed and congratulated when they're expecting a baby, regardless of the state their relationship Mm. is actually in Mm. and the way that we don't uh, ever question the validity of parents who come into parenting from that, that route and don't, and don't challenge, um, challenge them or challenge ourselves to um, look at their roles differently or look at them more supportively or investigate what, what they're doing that we just take for granted Mm. that parents have the absolute authority to make decisions about how they're going to parent that we can't we can't challenge that because mm. it's their family like I don't think that those things are are productive and um, our situation forces us to do a lot of those things differently that I don't think you have to be in our situation to do differently mm-hmm. you know can I ask a pragmatic question in the spirit yeah. of doing things differently so I imagine it has informed this process has informed how you experience and treat someone if let's say if you see that they're pregnant are there any Things that, you know, tips to, we don't automatically now. So one of the takeaways is don't automatically congratulate because that may not be the right circumstance. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's generally a good idea not to comment on the bodies of people you don't know Mm. or people that you know peripherally whose bodies are changing. It's a good idea to let them bring that information to you. Mm. Yeah, you know, I... I don't want to be the like congratulations police. And I know that a lot of people will be like, but I just want to be 
happy for you or you're doing this thing or whatever. Um, pregnancy is a miracle, la, la, la. But it is really complicated for a lot of people mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. I personally wouldn't automatically congratulate someone if they bring it up or mention it or point it out in some way, then for sure. I don't refer to pregnant people as mama, like inherently Mm -hmm. that happens to me all the time. It drives me nuts. There's a kind of a script that I go through, um, especially because I am in a store a lot of the time and I engage with a lot of strangers. Oh my gosh. We always go through the same narrative. They ask me um, if I'm having a boy or a girl, which always, (laughs) uh, I'm like, you never really know until you meet the kid. I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if you really need to know about my baby's genitalia. Like I'm not going to go there with you. And Mm -hmm. as a trans person, like I just want to divest from Mm -hmm. prescribing this whole big ceremony around something that may or may not be true for my kid. But they asked me that question and then I, I'm like, oh, I don't know. And then they, uh, they asked me if it's my first and then I say no. And then I always get this really like backhanded, you look so young. Um, like I, I look too young to have had two children. And then I, I say, well, I'm almost 30 and do it that what you will. And it's, it's just funny in these like really short little interactions, all these things come out about the expectations of what kind of relationship you're supposed to be in. Um, how old you're supposed to be to have children, um, how you're supposed to feel about it, what information you owe to other people. Like a lot of times I think people are just trying to share in what they perceive as excitement with you, but there's a lot of projecting that happens in that, that can be really misplaced. So, you know, I think it's best to not be invasive with people that you don't know and let them kind of lead on how they want to talk about what's going on with their Mm -hmm. body. Um, and while they're pregnant, it's still their body. There's still, you know, there's still people who get to have boundaries. Don't touch pregnant people without asking. And if you don't know them, don't put them like, if you reach in and your hand is an inch away from your belly and you're like, can I touch? You're not really giving them the option to say no. Right. That's like not good. Mm -hmm. That's not good consent. We should still practice that with pregnant people. Mm -hmm. And also just remember that they're, that they're people like outside of Mm -hmm. the fact that they're, carrying a life like they have other things going on that maybe they want to talk to you about sometimes yeah yeah, for sure yeah yeah that's great yeah yeah (laughs) thank you thank you and ryan again thank you so much for sharing your story i kind of like reached out to you we barely know each other we've been in touch with various things like we barely know each other you know and you i reached out to you and i was like i want you to tell your story on tape and you're like okay um and you came here you've been here for you know over an hour and you so articulately and eloquently told your story I thank you from the bottom of my heart thank you for sharing thanks for having me thank you what a story I hope you found the story as compelling heartwarming and as important as we did we are so grateful to Ryan for sharing their story with us and for allowing us to learn from their honest vulnerable and love filled story with the start of the new year we wish Ryan their partner, their children, and their children's family a warm, healthy, and a joyful new year. And that is also our wish for you, dear listeners. We feel grateful to be starting 2021 with you. And we hope that you can start the new year off with some new friends. So find us on Instagram and Facebook at We Are Curious Foxes. You can follow along and start the new year with some curiosity. Considering some new ideas, some new perspectives, some new people, some new connection. And while you are there on your phone, there's a few more things that you can do to stay plugged into this community. 
you can start by liking and following and sharing this podcast just by liking it, by sharing it, by downloading, by doing something. It indicates to the podcast gods that this is a podcast that is important, that is doing good work and allows other people to have access to us as well. You can also join us on Patreon and become a supporter of the Curious Fox community. If you do that, you get access to exclusive events just for patrons, which we are going to be having our next one on January 6th. We're going to have a little evening get together, virtual party. And so our Patreon members can join us there. You get access to podcast extras. So we do bonus content, director's cut, and mini episodes that we post exclusively on Patreon. There are opportunities for patrons to ask questions to podcast guests. You get Ask Me Anythings with Effie Blue. We're going to be having some new merchandise come out shortly and you're going to get access to that. And so there's a lot of fun things and additional ways that you can stay connected and stay curious as a Patreon member. This episode is produced and edited by the constantly brilliant Nina Pollock. We know the story was very close to your heart. Thank you for your diligent work. Our intro music is composed by Dave Saha. Thank you for your contribution. And thank you for listening. As always, stay curious, friends. Curious Fox podcast is not and will never be the final word on any topic. We solely aim to encourage curiosity and provide a space for exploration through connection and story. We encourage you to listen with an open and curious mind and we'll look forward to your feedback. Stay curious, friends. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious.